Welcome to the Multipurpose Room, a podcast helping school organizations and school administrations achieve their goals. Each episode discusses real-life topics that PTAs, PTOs, and school staff are dealing with. Our hosts and guests offer practical tips, learnings, and best practices to achieve their desired outcomes. And here are your hosts, Wesley and Deborah Jones. There's nothing like a global crisis to force change. We've seen medicine and technology advance by leaps and bounds in the last six months. I mean, who would have thought that buying cars from a vending machine would actually be a thing? The evolution of the educational system is equally dramatic. Today, we're going to talk to Aaron Gerard, a teacher and class quality specialist at OutSchool, about the evolution in the educational system in the last five years, the supercharging it's gotten over the last six months, What's to come, and what does this all mean for teachers? Erin, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Why don't we start with just a little bit of your background? Sure. I am a credentialed teacher in the state of California. I work in the classroom uh, for, with uh, elementary all the way up to high school students before I chose to stay at home with our twin girls, who are now 11. We've been homeschooling since kindergarten. And I've been teaching on OutSchool for the past two years. OutSchool is an online global learning community that has teachers in five different countries, as well as students, of course, all over the world. So you've got a lot of experience in this teaching area. And if I'm not mistaken, you also work with other OutSchool teachers. Is that right? That is right. I am a class quality specialist with the platform. I work with our teachers to provide coaching and support, whether they are new or they're refining their craft to help them navigate this online teaching system. So you have your own experience, plus you get to talk to a lot of other teachers about what's going on in the world. So I think you've got a really broad perspective, and I'm excited to hear more about it. So why don't we start pre-pandemic? Your girls are 11, so about six years ago, you made a decision to homeschool your kids after looking at the options out there. What were the options then, and how have school options evolved from then till 2019? Well, when the twins were in kindergarten, even prior to kindergarten, as we started looking at options, we had already realized earlier on that we wanted to homeschool the girls. And then when they were in preschool and then kindergarten, we were in a new area. So I did investigate the homeschool options that the district we lived in provided. We made a choice to go with a charter school as well as a co-op to help support our girls and our education and also to make sure that we had others around us who were homeschooling and who had the same ideas about schooling in a non-traditional way. And have those options remained constant in the last five or six years? In the last five to six years, those options have stayed, but we have slowly the evolution of more options, Uh, especially where we were living in the Bay Area. It seemed like there were more options to start doing things virtually, but it was very slow. There was also more activities, classes in person that we had to choose from for our girls. So homeschooling for us is not just school at home. Our girls know that the whole world is their school. And so we have really embraced that as a family. That's great. And I think with the pandemic, more and more families, whether by choice or not, have embraced online learning. 
What kind of evolution have you seen in the last six months to the schooling options out there? Well, there has been an explosion of options in the last six months. Back in March, we started offering, um, without school, teaching online for the global community. And I worked with people from all across the globe, administrators, teachers, and listening to how they were adjusting to this change. Some were trying to implement school just as you would in a traditional brick and mortar, do that virtually, where others were trying to piece together different systems, different programs to create a robust education for students to do remotely. And what do you think will continue post-pandemic into 2021? How do you think this is all going to evolve in the future? I'm excited for the future. I think prior to March, there was not a clear understanding of what homeschooling was like. And I think people, especially parents and educators, got a crash course on homeschooling. There are different beliefs and thoughts about homeschoolers. And I think people realize that homeschooling can be done in a very robust way. I think going forward, we're going to see that there's going to be a combination in your traditional schools that's going to provide virtual as well as um, alternative to education instead of what we have typically known or traditionally known prior to March 2020. You've mentioned a couple of times how the online options have allowed for expansion of offerings. And I think you said your girls view the world as their school. So what are some of the pros that this evolution will bring more broadly? I was thinking of this question and I'm thinking of my students last night in my class. We were going around sharing what time it was where we lived. And the faces of surprise on several students when their classmates said it was 9 a.m. Tuesday morning and everyone else had been here in the United States. When the school is global, your student is getting exposed to other cultures and other types of learning, not just from a teacher that might be in Australia, but also their class. So they're able to learn not just from a teacher in another country, but they're able to learn from classmates and learn what life would be like if they were to be a student at that age in that country. Yeah, that seems like a benefit irrespective of the subject matter, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what the course you were teaching mm-hmm. about yesterday was, but the subject matter was what it was. But these learnings about different times and what people are doing in other places happened irrespective of the core subject matter. Exactly. Last night happened to be a baking class, but my girls take French from a Canadian teacher whose first language is French. Here, if we were to do that here in the States, we may not have that option. But with school, I'm able to search classes for teachers who specialize in a subject matter and that my girls can get that firsthand knowledge from the teacher. Even in a, something like a baking class, I imagine there's a discussion of different measurements and how things are measured mm-hmm. differently in imperial versus metric system countries. Exactly. And also the different ingredients. So we also have a, a lot of conversations about what is available, when, especially if we have students in the southern hemisphere and in the northern hemisphere with the opposite season. Fair point. Yeah, things are in season at different times. And I I certainly know there's Mm -hmm. a lot of different tropical fruits that I don't necessarily get here. (laughs) 
it's great exposure. Yeah, I agree. It's great exposure and it, it's learning by osmosis regardless of subject matter, which is great. And teachers can weave that into their classes for the future. Um, what about some of the cons of this kind of evolution? Some of the cons would include the rapid growth where people are trying to try a variety of things all at once. I know that in our home district, there was a lot of trial and error at the beginning as they were trying to figure out how to navigate virtual learning. I think some of the cons also are the thought process that you can do traditional brick and mortar school setting at home. And when you're schooling at home, it is different than when you are in a traditional brick-and-mortar educational system. So those would be a couple of the cons. And also, some of the cons, too, with a virtual learning is how much time students do spend in front of a screen. Yeah, that can definitely be a challenge. And there's guidelines for how many hours kids should spend in front of screens. And I think doing school all day on them (laughs) flies in the Mm -hmm. face of those guidelines. I know for us that when we homeschool, Our schooling usually is two or three hours a day. And when you're working one-on-one or I have the pleasure of having twins, and so we're in the same subject matters and on the same skill levels. So I only have that one grade level I'm working with. But even talking with friends who homeschool a variety of ages, they really are aware of how much they're able to get done in a shorter period of time which then allows the child to explore other interests and explore things that they might not have been introduced to in the traditional brick-and-mortar educational system. Yeah, I, you know, I really like this concept, and let's just dive a little bit deeper here because we, I think we talked about in our last conversation, we as a family actually took the first six months of this year to travel the world and use the world mm-hmm. as our school And, you know, did a lot of different activities to get cultural learning. And even growing up, I, my family was in Australia and Poland. And so we would travel a decent amount. So I was fortunate enough to see parts of the world when, when traveling to see family. All this travel is lessened during this pandemic time. But there are ways that the world has shrunk that we've just talked about. Can you think of some ways that teachers can purposefully integrate that going forward? In other words, we talked about some of the opportunities that were more organic in the classes, like in out school. But if you're picturing a Mm -hmm. teacher in a brick and mortar who doesn't necessarily have students from around the world, are there some ways to integrate that globalization into learning going forward? I believe so. I believe what we're seeing too are a lot of partnerships with different organizations and different programs to help brick and mortar teachers provide options for their students. For example, we recently moved to the state of Washington and the university here is providing virtual tours and field trips for students who are not able to be out exploring titles and the different parts of the ocean that they're providing classes with. And that is all, that's a partnership with the university to those in the community. And that has helped, I know, at least our learning to be able to get deeper into marine biology that my girls are interested in. And so there are lots of different programs and a lot of different places that are partnering to bring these type of options to the classroom. 
Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, looking at universities or museums abroad as well would bring that different Mm -hmm. perspective into the classroom. Time zones aside, because that would be something to be considered, it would be a great Mm -hmm. way to expand the children's horizons. So I love that point. What are some other ways that all of this evolution has impacted teachers' lives? I mean, you spend a lot of time talking to teachers. So how have their lives changed in the last six months? I know for veteran teachers, teachers who are used to doing all their education, all their teaching in a traditional classroom, it's been more of an adjustment to switch to that. And then there's the adjustment to going on to the online platform that's also provided some difficulties and trials and errors because not everyone is comfortable with technology. With newer teachers, I think we're going to find a lot more training and options as they are going through their various teaching credential programs to address this need of more alternatives in a virtual world. What are some things that teachers can do to better prepare to teach in this new reality? I think teachers to be ready for this new reality is to change their mindset and be open to the various possibilities that are there. There are things that we're learning and developing constantly. Things have changed from March to now and being aware of what is available and how to utilize that. So that goes from technology to different resources. Is that what you mean when you say be aware of the various options out there? Being aware, yes. Being aware of what options out there, not just the technology, because there are more options now. And things are, technology is being developed to help teachers in this virtual learning. And there's also more training coming about, too, from various organizations and places on lesson planning and classroom management, because it's a lot different. If you think of it from a classroom management perspective, teachers are learning how to keep an eye on all their students on a, for example, Zoom computer screen and all the little thumbnails versus being able to walk around a room and check on their students. So teachers are learning how to not just teach online, but they're also learning how to manage and how to rewrite their lessons so that they can be engaging online versus how they would do it in person. Yeah, you know, teachers are really taking on a lot uh, this year and, and even last year. And I just really want to give a shout out and say thank you to all the teachers out there because you guys have all done a tremendous job. And I know it's a steep learning curve. One of the things that I've seen be really effective with some of the teachers that we've been working with is just asking for help from peers or from parents. Mm -hmm. Parents have gone through a steep learning curve for those who are having to work remotely and who maybe have not done that before, right? So Zoom is a popular platform now. Parents have been using it for conference calls for the last six months. We had a teacher recently reach out and say to a parent that she knew has been using Zoom and a parent she trusted and say, hey, do you have any tips so that I can get up to speed very quickly? Mm -hmm. And they had a quick 15-minute FaceTime chat, and the teacher felt a lot more comfortable in the platform. So I do think we're all learning from each other, and not being afraid to ask is something that can be really valuable. You're right, and that's an important thing is to ask for help, and the help is out there. For example, with Zoom, they provided even more training on their website and OutSchool did have a partnership with Zoom to provide training 
for teachers on how to teach online. So there are resources out there and asking for help using the talent of the parents, as you mentioned, and their community is a great way for teachers to navigate this new world of education. What about the brick and mortar schools out there? Is there anything that they should be doing to prepare for the evolution of school beyond this year? I think schools are being aware of all the options that are available. I think what's happening is, as you keep using the word evolution, education, I think, is going through a major growth spurt right now. and More and more is being available. And brick and mortar classrooms are going to see more integration of these different technologies and these different options. Yeah, I think that's right. Our school, I have children similar in age to yours, and one of the things that our school does is a program called Magic, where it's a roughly six-week program that features six different countries, and each classroom is converted into a different country, and the children get together in multi-age groups and go around and visit the different countries and spend a day in each. And, you know, as I was contemplating this program, I mean, what a great opportunity to actually engage a sister school from another country in that program, right? Instead, what we've done in the past is have the parents Mm -hmm. research it and do a presentation. And many of the parents have some experience in those countries, if not have grown up in those countries. So that's a benefit. But now in this new world where technology will be more integrated into classrooms, we hope there's an opportunity to talk live to a class in France or a class in China, uh, maybe do a pen pal exchange Mm -hmm. or a webinar exchange. I just see these programs being able to go through a similar growth spurt. I like your terminology there and really take Mm -hmm. them to the next level. You're right. I think this is just our opportunity in education to grow and to see that the possibilities are really endless that we can do. And one of the things that I think schools are realizing too, I know we talked before about leveling the playing field and how can this works. And I think more and more attention is being shown what areas need that sort of help and districts coming together with partnerships within the community to provide things like hotspots and Chromebooks to students who may not have been able to have that on their own. And so there's been a lot more partnerships that I've seen. Our school has developed our nonprofit where we provide funding for students to be able to take classes. There are other places that are offering their programs for free. I think that's a really, really important point. I mean, the discrepancy in resources can be heightened during times like this, but I think relying on companies who have made donations, relying on ensuring that the funding is being applied to the right schools, you know, not necessarily peanut buttered across all schools, but really consideration given to what schools are more in need. To your point, online schools like OutSchool providing some resources to try and level the playing field. I think all of that is really important. I think it's something we need to pay attention to going forward as well to make sure that we don't exacerbate any discrepancies in how schools are funded and what resources are allocated to schools. This has been a fascinating and somewhat unexpected evolution or or growth spurt of the educational system. So it's been a fascinating and somewhat unexpected evolution of the educational system. At least the speed and manner of the evolution wasn't expected. So if I'm talking to future Aaron in 2025 and you're looking back, 
What's the biggest change that you would look at and say, but for the pandemic, we wouldn't be doing X? If it weren't for the pandemic, I don't think we would be utilizing so many different alternatives to the traditional education system as we knew it prior to March 2020. I think we are developing and creating and thinking more alternatively now than ever before. So we're really having to think outside the box, really focus on those community partnerships and working together globally to provide education to our students. So I think it's going to be seeing all these different partnerships and different different ways to shorten that educational gap because of the pandemic. And what a great way for our young children to learn collaboration skills you know, globally, I mean, business is more and more global, and yet there's still technology road bumps a lot of time in business in connecting. But our five-year-olds are on Zoom and, frankly, managing the tool better than I am at times. So by the time they hit the boardroom, (laughs) they're really going to be experts in this. And But for the pandemic, they wouldn't have had that crash course either and gained those skills. So it's kind of neat as well. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's been hard. It's been difficult. We've all been learning together in this. But I think it's going to strengthen us and strengthen the educational system as we are providing broader opportunities for our students. And we're having to think creatively. And we are having to form those partnerships. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I wanted to really thank you for your perspective about the evolution of the educational system. We had some great conversation about the growth spurt that we've gone through with the pandemic. And maybe I'll come back to you in 2025 and we can talk about whether what we discussed today came to fruition. I wanted to see, is there anything else you wanted to make sure that we touched on? I think the one thing I want to leave with those who are listening to is that we're all in this together. We're not going to get it right the first time, maybe not the second time. So be gracious with yourself. Schooling at home is something that most people are not used to. And schools may not be used to. And they're trying their their best just as the parents and the students are trying their best to adapt to this new world, this new educational progression that we are seeing. And so just be patient with yourself and know that it's okay not to feel like you're getting it right the first or second or tenth time. That it's going to take trial and error to see what is going to work because every family does come from a different situation. Every district is going to be different. And so just be prepared to know that it's okay if things don't work out the first time or the third time. Going to your growth spurt analogy, there will be growing pains, right? And it's okay because with growing pains Mm -hmm. come additional height, uh, maybe new clothing sizes if we're Mm -hmm. thinking about children, Uh, a lot of benefits and fun on the other side, but there are those pains. And so I think your point's a good one. Be gentle with yourselves during that time and know that coming out the other end, there are good things waiting. Thanks so much, Erin. You're welcome. Thank you. This show has been brought to you by K-12 Clothing. K-12 Clothing is a PTA dad-created business focused on providing high-quality school apparel while increasing access to educational resources through fundraising in schools. Learn more at k12clothing.com. Make sure to visit our website at themultipurposeroom.school to subscribe to this show. If you like the topics on this show, We share additional resources on our company blog at k12clothing.com and click on blog. 
Thanks to Squad Locker for making this show possible, and we'll see you next week in the Multipurpose Room. <laughs>